The God of Mischief is back and better than ever. Loki. 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 Wow. Great to see you again. Critics agree. Loki season two is marvelous. Great. And it's finally here. How much do you know? Let's assume I don't know much. A mind-bending adventure. Spectacularly cinematic. I've been waiting for a moment like this. It surpasses all expectations. A little over the top, don't you think? I thought it was spot on. Loki Season 2. Now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. you now dare i ask how are you it's fine thursday night friday morning friday afternoon friday evening again i've said this before i'll say it again i don't know when you listen to this and it's none of my business but your montreal canadians are my business and they defeated on thursday night the washington capitals by a score of six to two hello and welcome to episode 79 of the Bottom Six Minutes podcast presented by Habs Eyes and the Prize. I am Matt Drake, and Tank Nation, I'm going to have to talk to you first. Um, I can understand how uh, defi- definitely the denizens of Tank Nation are not too happy about that one. How the fuck are the Washington Capitals that bad? To think that, you know, a few episodes ago, I was sitting here wondering whether or not they could be a team that might be able to push a little bit and get into that conversation with Florida and maybe try to help keep Florida out of a playoff spot. Yeah, very not. I actually had to go and take a look and see, did they play last night? That was my first question. Did they play last night? Is that why they were so bad? I don't think they played last night. They haven't played since Sunday. They've had... One, two, three full days off. Maybe they practiced in there a little bit. I don't know what they did. Again, none of my business. But they suck. The fact that I thought that they were going to actually challenge Florida at any point, uh, hilarious to me in retrospect, considering what what I saw in that game. The Habs were the better team by a wide margin. By a wide margin. Um, I, I would not be feeling very good if I was a Capitals fan, considering that you know you got limited. You're on borrowed time with Alexander Ovechkin. Um, look, Tank Nation. I sorry, I went off on a tangent there. There's not a whole lot that we can do about that one. There's not a whole lot that we can do about the Washington Capitals being that inept. They they look terrible. The Habs looked good. I'll I'll give it to them. They looked good. They deserved that win. They were definitely the better team. But the Capitals were absolutely terrible. All we can really do right now as Tank Nation is come together and collectively will a certain Arizona Coyotes team to get a win tonight and keep us in fifth last. Otherwise, we might have to accept that sixth last is where we're going to end up uh, because the Coyotes are on an eight-game losing streak. I talked about that in the last episode. If you're interested, you can go backwards and listen to it. But I digress we got to talk about the game. And um, look, I'll do the recap as quick as possible because there are quite a few things that I want to get to after this, including the Dennis Gurianov situation, which most of you are already aware of. But before any of that, we got to do the recap. And look, it did not start out well for the Montreal Canadiens. In the first couple of minutes, they were hemmed in their own zone early on. They were having a tough time getting the puck going in the right direction, tough time moving through the neutral zone, and eventually... Alexander Ovechkin, 
uh, I want to say four, four four minutes or five minutes into the game, maybe six minutes. I don't know. It was it was pretty early in the game. Ovechkin with a long bank pass up to Dylan Strome. He walks in and just beats Semyon Montembeau up high. It's one nothing for the Caps. That seemed to be the thing that woke the Montreal Canadiens up, however, because from that point, they stormed back into the game. By the end of the period, they doubled up the Capitals in shots but they couldn't score. So we go to the second period, one nothing in favor of the Caps, and the second period is all Habs. All Habs. Decent chances to get it going. Michael Pizzetta goes to the box for a holding penalty a few minutes in, and you'd think this is where it's going to turn the tide. Like the Habs have been dominating the early part of the period. They get a penalty. Uh, Washington has a pretty good power play. No. Joel Edmondson bangs one off the glass. Nick Suzuki's just lurking in the neutral zone. He gets to the puck first, crosses the blue line with a full breakaway. Deeks Darcy Kemper out to the forehand, puts it in. It's 1-1, and Nick Suzuki now has a new career high in points. Still, the Habs in penalty trouble in this period, despite dominating. Raphael Harvey-Pinard nearly scores another shorthanded goal, but it gets stopped by Darcy Kemper, gives him another offensive zone draw during a penalty kill. Jake Evans wins it back to Mike Matheson, down over to Joel Armia on the other side, and he rips one through everybody. It's 2-1 to one for the Habs. Real quick after that, Alexander Alexeyev, with the weakest pass you've ever seen behind his own net, Jonathan Drouin is cycling through. He just picks it up, goes behind his back, and throws it out front to Brennan Gallagher. He gets an easy one. It's 3-1 to one for the Montreal Canadiens. And then a few minutes after that, Another offensive zone draw, another set play by the Habs. They had some beautiful set plays going on offensive zone draws in this one, let me tell you. This time it's Nick Suzuki, wins it back to Mike Matheson, and again he finds Yoel Armia at the top of the circle, and he rockets one. 4-1 to one for the Montreal Canadiens. The Caps are shit. They're shit. Not a whole lot going on in the third period, so I'm going to skip ahead to the very end with a little more than five minutes left on the clock. Brennan Gallagher goes streaking in, and John Carlson is behind him and kind of shoves him into Darcy Kemper. So Gallagher goes face first into Kemper. They call Gallagher for goaltender interference. I won't rant on the refs in this one because I felt like they actually, they refed a very good game. They called um, Tom Wilson for the instigator and gave him a game misconduct penalty when he instigated a completely unnecessary fight against Michael Pizzetta over a clean hit. I actually liked the officiating in this game, but this call was, it was a bad call. John Carlson threw him into the goaltender, but they call it, and uh, the Caps elect to pull their goaltender with over five minutes on the clock. Not something that you see very often, but I could understand why they're doing it. They're still kind of technically in the playoff race. They're trying to get back into this one, and they do get one back. They get one back from Nicholas Backstrom, and it's 4-2. to two. And the whole while, everybody's saying, Samuel Montembeau, please shoot the puck, get a goal. That one was 6-on-4 because Galley was still in the box. And then we go to 6-on-5 because they've still got their net empty. And with the net empty, Yoel Armia chases one down, gets his hat-trick into the empty net. It's 5-2. to two. Mike Hoffman added one more late to make it 6-2. to two. The Habs dominating the supposed potential playoff contenders in the Washington Capitals. Ugh. Can't believe that I actually thought this team was going to challenge Florida and try to keep them out of the playoffs. What was I thinking? Anyways, I'm going to get to the Gurianov situation, if that's what anybody was hoping to hear. But before that, we got to go with the silver linings of the night. And I say linings because there were a few great performances that I want to talk about. And the first one, your player of the game, 
silver lining, whatever you want. It's Yoel Armia with a hat trick. Uh, look, I think this boosts any potential trade value that he might have. And I, I know for me to immediately go to trade is a little bit ridiculous after that. But what else do you want me to do? I don't see him as a part of the rebuild moving forward. I see them as running out the clock on his contract right now. And I think if there was, you know, number one, if he was healthy, and number two, if there was a, a buyer for him at the deadline, I think he would be gone already. But for to see him come back from the injury and play as well as he has since he got back, I wonder if there's a possibility in the offseason. I wonder. Because, look, he's got two more years left. AAV is sitting at, what, $3.4 million per year. It's not the best contract it's definitely one the team would like to move on from. And if he continues having good output in the final three games of the year, including this hat trick that he just got uh, ahead of that, I, I wonder, is there a team that might bite? We know that Kent Hughes likes to make blockbusters at the, at the draft. We know that he's looking to add younger players to his roster that are already drafted versus necessarily only going after draft picks. I think draft picks are going to be a hard sell in this draft just because of how good the top end of the draft is. But I think if they could get a second rounder even for him, I think it would be a worthwhile trade. Uh, I, I don't think you need to be looking at first rounders with him. So it, it's it's a silver lining in that he's player of the game late in the season, in a season where, again, they would have moved on from him if they could. They probably still want to move on from him if they can, and we'll see, right? A, a good late-season performance, if he leaves that that good taste in everybody's mouth going into the offseason, I think there's a possibility that he gets moved, and the Habs can move on from a contract that they don't want to have, and maybe they can get something worthwhile in return. I don't know. Great game from him. He was getting to the right spots, and uh, look, I don't want to take that away from him at all by talking about a trade, but it's where my brain goes immediately with him because, again, I don't think that he's part of the rebuild moving forward. Aside from Armia, we had some other great performances as well. Nick Suzuki sets a career high. He's now at, what, 63 points, which is the most he's ever had in a season, uh, and he's done this while playing with you know, almost everybody but his ideal line mates. He lost Cole Caulfield way earlier in the season than you would have liked to see him lose him. If he had Cole Caulfield all year, you know he would have hit that career high way sooner. Way sooner. He's had to play with everybody. He's had to play with Mike Hoffman, Raphael Harvey-Pinard, Jonathan Drouin. They've had a rotating cast of people up there. I think the configuration that works best is when he's got RHP up there with him. Um, it, it seems to at least give him somebody that can kind of help him out at least a little bit. Uh, Mike Hoffman isn't so bad up there, but it's really not the best spot for him in a lineup to be on the top line. Uh, look, I'm just impressed with how Nick Suzuki's been able to continue producing despite the fact that he's faced so much adversity and despite the fact that he's had a rotating cast of line mates to, to skate with. It's, it's, it's admirable. In his first season as captain, everything went wrong, and he just kept on keeping on. And um, I respect it. Uh, I can't wait to see what he does next year. I think it'll be considerably better, especially if, and I pray that this is the case, they can stay healthy. And then you have Mike Matheson. Mike Matheson had three apples in that game. He got an apple on each of the uh, the first two Yoel Armia goals. He also got one on Nick Suzuki's goal. He was the one that knocked the puck over to Joel Edmondson before he uh, banged it off the glass. So that ended up giving him three points on the night. Mike Matheson... Folks, I'm telling you, I, I, if, if he stays healthy next season, I think he's going to be a legitimate 
number one defenseman, and he's going to set the league on fire. Wow. Set the league on fire might be a little bit bold on my part. I, I think he's gonna I think he's gonna shock Montreal Canadiens fans with how much he can produce because look at what he's doing on a bottom five team in the league. If he's doing this on a bottom five team, we know the team's gonna be better next year than they are this year. One way or another. They're gonna graduate some youngsters. They're probably maybe they add somebody in free agency. They're gonna have a pretty good draft pick, whether that's fifth, sixth overall. I expect this team to be better next year. And I, I, I don't think anybody's really arguing with that at this point. I definitely think that they're going to be uh, more competitive than they are at the very least. And when he has a better cast of players around him, a more experienced cast of defensemen around him, I really think that he's he's going to blow up. And uh, look, it, it's to the benefit of the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, that trade for Jeff Petrie is starting to look better and better every time I see this guy play. He had a great game. Last but not least, Raphael Hardy-Pinard. He only ended up with one assist on the night on uh, the what on the hat-trick goal for Yohal Hermia. So the only point that he got was on the empty net goal. But he played extremely well, folks. Extremely well. He was driving the play. He was relentless on the forecheck. He had uh, the almost goal that he got shorthanded right before uh, the face-off that led to the, what, the first Armia goal, the shorthanded one. It's... It's amazing to see how well he's developed since he's come up. Um, again, I've, I've talked about him too much, so I don't want to spend too much time on it, but I cannot wait to see what he does next year. Uh, it's going to be nice, especially when you can see him in a, in a spot in the lineup where he's actually supposed to be and he's not forced to play so far up. Uh, I think it's going, to be, it's, it's going to be great. He's going to be a luxury for them in the bottom six when they can finally figure out, number one, staying healthy, and number two, having the right lineup configuration that allows him to play where his strengths are going to work to the best of their abilities. So uh, another great game from him. Love it. Super excited. And uh, look, there was a lot to like in that game. A lot to like from the Montreal Canadiens. They were the better team by a wide margin over a team that was supposed to make the playoffs, apparently, and hasn't played since fucking Sunday. I I get it. Again, I want to go back to Tank Nation here real quick. I get it. I get why you might be upset that they won that game. I think for sure I, I kind of wanted them to lose. But as that game went on, uh, particularly as the second period went on, I was like, I don't see how they do lose this game. I mean, after the the first goal by Dylan Strom, from that point on, it was all Habs until until it was what until it was 4-1 and then Washington kind of came back into a little bit like look they were the better team by a wide margin for most of the game this these things happen and for me looking at it like this is a team that's still fighting for their lives to get into the playoffs in Washington if that's the best that they could do against the Habs on three days rest then I don't think the Habs are that far away from being good particularly when you consider how many of their regular players are not in the lineup right now as a result of being hurt what if they had a full lineup? What if the Habs had a full, healthy contingent of players? They would have smoked the Washington Capitals out of that building like 11 to 1. I don't know. I don't think it would have been pretty if the Habs had all of their players. If the Habs had Cole Caulfield in that game. That would have been nasty. It would have been a walkthrough. So, again, Team Tank, I'm with you. I kind of wish that we didn't get the two points in that one, but maybe, just maybe, the fact that they were able to play that well against a team that's fighting for their playoff lives, we got to take it. A good game, but perhaps overshadowed by uh, some news that came out well before the game started. 
and that was that Denis Gurianov was not going to be participating in warm-ups, and if you don't know why, it's because this was Pride Night for the Montreal Canadiens. They wore their Pride jerseys uh, with the rainbow logo, and Gurianov's Russian, so Look, the, the team put out a statement, and all they said in their statement was that one of their players had chosen not to wear it and that they didn't want that to overshadow what the night means and uh, the fact that they were trying to be inclusive of all people and try to make everybody feel welcome in their space. Um, but then subsequent reports came out from a number of media members that Gurianov had told head coach Martin Saint-Louis that it was because he was worried about the safety of his family. He's Russian. Um, we know that Russia back in December had passed some uh, particularly controversial anti-LGBT propaganda laws. They call it propaganda laws, by the way. That's not me saying that. And uh, there's been some talk about whether or not there might be the possibility of reprisals against people's families or themselves even in Russia should they participate in Pride Nights in the NHL. There's no evidence to suggest that they will be, right? There hasn't been any reports. The NHL has said that they haven't heard of anything happening, but Gurianov allegedly told Martin Saint-Louis that's why he didn't want to participate. I don't want to get into all of the other players that are refused and their reason why. I want to keep this just to Gurianov. And look, I, I looked up the law that they passed in December, and I'll be completely honest with you, I don't understand exactly what it covers. I'm not sure that the players understand what it covers. I don't know if there's a legitimate threat of reprisal against Gurianov's family if he puts on the rainbow jersey. All I know is that he said to Martin Saint-Louis that he feels concerned for the safety of his family. As somebody, and this is going to sound stupid, it's going to sound like an appeal to authority, but as somebody with children, right, If like I'd have no problem putting on the pride jersey whatsoever. Yeah, if I went to an NHL game tomorrow, let's face it, I'm not good enough to play in the NHL, but if the Habs called me up and they said, we're going to need you to play on Saturday and we're wearing the pride jerseys, I'd say, no problem, I'm putting it on. But I live in Canada where there's zero threat of my government retaliating against my family whatsoever. If I was a Russian national and I went into that game and I thought to myself that there was even a 1% chance that my son could be affected by my decision to put on a sweater for a warm-up period, I wouldn't put it on. So all I'm trying to get across here is like, listen, whether or not you think that Denis Gurianov did this because he's a homophobe, whether or not you believe that there is a real possibility of repercussions, I think until and unless we have legitimate proof that he knew there was no threat of reprisal and that he was lying about wanting to make sure that his family wasn't going to be affected as a result, we can't sit here and cast aspersions on him and say he's a homophobe. If he's really not wearing the jersey because he's worried about his family, you, you, you got to give him that. you got to give him that. Because I think anybody here listening, or even people who aren't listening who might have opinions about this, you're going to protect your family before anything. I personally think uh, Pride Night's a great thing that teams are doing. Um, I, I've loved this sport my entire life. Never loved anything more, except maybe my children. And I, I hope, pray that everybody on this planet gets the opportunity 
to learn to love this sport the way that I do because I think it's a beautiful thing. Uh, it, it's one of the, it's forget one of it's the greatest game on the planet. There's nothing like it, and if it's something that you can sit down and watch and enjoy, then I hope that you get the opportunity to learn to love it. And I don't give a flying fuck what kind of genitalia you have, who you choose to sleep with. None of that bothers me. But on the other hand, I can see how a Russian national might be concerned. Whether or not you think that concern is founded, is immaterial to the conversation, I can see how he might feel that way. And I, I hope everybody can have, you know, just a, a little bit of compassion for him in this situation. If more information comes out and we find out that it turns out, eh, he just didn't want to wear it, then, you know, at that point, maybe you can make some jokes about him uh, or you could shit on him and, and it'd be fair to do. But until and unless that happens, I, I think you need to sit there and say, this guy, as far as we know, is doing it because he believes that there's a threat to his family. If that's the case, then it's not on him. It's on the fucking Russian government. And your anger should be directed there. I think it's a great night. Um, I think it's important to try to make everybody feel welcome in the sport. Um, but at the same time, you know, you, you can't make somebody put the jersey on. And I don't think shaming them into putting the jersey on is going to help. And I especially don't think that shaming someone to putting the jersey on when he may think that there's a threat to his family for doing so is good for anyone. I think it's a great night. I loved the statement that the Habs put out, actually, where they said, listen, one of our players chose not to do it, but we don't want it to overshadow what we're trying to accomplish here. I thought that was fantastic. Um, I thought making sure that he was not available to the media to talk about it afterwards was also a smart move, right? We, you don't need the media grilling him and trying to figure out whether or not he's lying. If he's lying, it's going to be found out eventually. If he's a homophobe, it's going to be found out eventually. We don't need to assume that he's lying and bombard him with a bunch of questions and try to make it about the one person who didn't put the jersey on when everybody else put it on. Everybody else put it on. A number of them kept the tape on during the game as well. Right? Hockey, we want it to be for everybody. Maybe right now it's not, but this is kind of what they're working towards is to make sure that everybody feels welcome in the space. Um, look, say what you will about Denis Kuryanov. I am choosing to believe that he does believe there's a threat to his family. Whether or not that's the case, listen, it'll come out eventually and we'll find out. He didn't wear the jersey. He played in the game. He had a pretty mediocre game. So maybe next time, <laughs> maybe he needs to warm up. Maybe that's the secret for Denis Guryanov. I shouldn't make a joke about this. Um, we'll cut it off there. We're running, what, 22 minutes and change. So since soirée énorme. Pour les employés de soutien, uh, we're on Spotify, Google Play, Apple, Megaphone. I'm on Twitter at DrakeMT. Drop me a follow. I appreciate it very much. Thank you, as always, for listening. And, of course, à la prochaine.